This week, we're going to continue our series that we've started um, on the book of Corinthians, the two books of Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And so if you've got your Bibles today, you can go ahead and open up and turn there. In this series, we've been talking about Paul's letters. He wrote two of them to the church in Corinth. In the Corinth was a, a, a cosmopolitan city. It was an ancient city. It had a reputation we've talked about for religious diversity, for corruption, for sexual immorality. And, and that sounds a lot like what we live in today, right? It sounds like what the country that we live in. And this was the city that Paul was writing to. And he realized that a lot of them were heavily influenced by the culture around them. And he wanted them to become everything that God had created them to be. And so what Paul does is he writes in these two letters and he's like, guys, here's a couple things that we need to address, that we need to clean up, that we just need to be made aware of so that we can become everything that God has created to be. So the first week we talked about the first chapter when Paul was writing and he was talking about the divisions in the church caused by people. They were saying, well, I follow this guy and I follow that guy and, and this guy is the, you know, this is the author that I like or this is the speaker that I like or, you know, this is the person. And because they were following people, they got so divided amongst themselves and they were in everything was just this one big argument. And so Paul says, guys, you need to stop doing that and we need to just follow Jesus. We need to look to Jesus. We need to make this about Jesus. And last week we talked about how he continues that point and he says that the cross is the sign of Christianity. Like, that's our logo. That's what we look to. That's what the sign that, that sums up everything. And God uses the weak things. Crucifixion was a, an execution that, that people went through. He uses the weak things to become strong. He uses the foolish things to bring wisdom. The cross brings about a new way of seeing the world where power and prestige and position don't matter in light of the mission of God, in light of what God is doing. And so that's what Paul says. And then in chapter 3, he revisits kind of the division talk that he says. But we're going to start this week in chapter 4, okay? Chapter 4. How do we choose the leaders that we follow and trust? How do we choose the leaders that we follow and trust? What makes them special to us? Think about the, 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 the books that you like to read and the, the bosses, your favorite bosses that you've ever had. What makes the, a leader trustworthy and someone that we want to follow? And so many of us, we, we desire to be in spiritual leadership. And later in Timothy, Paul says that's a good thing. It's a good thing to want to lead others spiritually and help them become all that God has created them to be. But Paul wants to kind of shape, what is this about Christian leadership? Many of us, we like leaders that we agree with, right? You like a leader that you agree with. We like that politician because of the policies or the campaign promises that they have. Those fit my worldview. You know, I always like the coach that told me I played a great game every time. You know, you didn't really like the coach that always told you that you were terrible. You know, Fulton, go sit the bench. You know, like the, you didn't like that guy, you know. But you like the ones that give you like the, the you know, this positive feedback. You like the boss that always gives you a great performance review. How many of you guys love a bad performance review? No one. Everyone likes a good performance review. Everyone likes, you know, this positive affirmation. And that can be a good thing. It feels good. But and what kind of parent would you be if all you did was ever critique your child? Right? What kind of parent would you be? Well, well you know, your room's not clean, your, your teeth are dirty, your hair's messed up, you know, you're getting bad grades in school. Like if that's all your kid ever heard about you, what kind of relationship 
would they have with you? Or if that's all your parent ever said to you, what kind of relationship would you have with them? Uh, Maybe some of you grew up in a house like this, or you know someone that grew up in a house like this. Marriage for both wives and husbands, that's a form of leadership. God puts you together with your spouse to help you become all that God created them to be. There's a lot of leadership in that from both sides. Like you're, I'm leading my wife to help her become all that God created her to be. And she's leading me to help me become all that God created me to be. And we're working together. I remember when Liz and I first got married, I had a really bad temper, like really bad temper. And I've talked to you guys about this and it took her patiently showing me when my temper manifested and along and with the help of the Holy Spirit to lead me out of that problem. She helped lead me out of that problem. But how do you think I would have responded to that critique if all she did was sit back and criticize me all the time? Like if it was just, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that and you're not worth anything and you don't make enough money and you need to do this and what If that was our relationship, whenever I needed her to lead me out of the issue that I had, do you think I would have responded well to that? No, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. And so there's, there's this place for positive affirmation. There's this place for, for love and, and this place for, for really lifting one another up in leadership. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, uh, the, the Bible says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh, a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. And later in verse four, it says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. People will not be led willingly if they are not loved. People will not be led willingly. That's a tongue twister. People will not be led willingly if they are not loved. So many times as a pastor, people will come to me and ask for me to like help them with their marriages and things like that. And what happens is, is like, and I've, I've preached about this before, it almost becomes trench warfare where like you're not crossing this line and like the, this, this side is trying to take, you know, is dug in and this side's dug in. And what happens is, is there's not love and there's not building up and there's not like this, this support network that's happening in that situation. And people won't respond to that if they're not loved. You may be able to lead someone for a very short time period out of fear or intimidation or any other kind of bad motivations, but that won't last and eventually they will resent you. Paul even talks about this in Colossians chapter 3 verse 21 where he talks about fathers and their children. And he, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children uh, to wrath or do not provoke them. Do not make them angry lest they become discouraged. And so when we're leading other people, when we're, we're supporting other people, when we're trying to lead them into everything that God has created for them to be, we have to undergird everything that we're doing in love. And this is whether you're being a parent or you're being a spouse or you're leading people at your job or whatever it is that you're doing, you always have to start in love. There is definitely a place for positive affirmation and agreement in leadership. However, If that boss never helps you set goals to stretch you more than where you're at right now, if your parent never disciplines you and allows you to do and say whatever you want to do and say, 
If that spouse never calls you out on your temper, are you going to grow? And so what we do a lot of times is we look for leaders that will only agree with us, but they don't challenge us. And so a part of leadership is agreement, it's support, but also it's challenging, it's, it's tr- helping someone grow, it's, it's telling them when they need to improve and they need to fix some things and, and pointing those things out and so that we can become all that God has created us to be. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 14 uh, says this, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And then in verse 24 it says, whoever spares the rod hates his son and whoever loves him is diligent to discipline leadership will sometimes require uncomfortable conversations john maxwell who's a leadership writer and author and teacher he says this leadership is not about titles or positions or flow charts it's about one life influencing another it's about one life influencing another and you are in a position as a child of God, as, 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 as someone who has been healed and set free and, and God has reconciled to himself, later we'll, we'll study this uh, in, in, in this series, but the Bible talks about how because God has reconciled us, now we have a ministry of reconciliation. We can lead other people in being reconciled to God. And so it's about my life, what I'm living, influencing other people. We connect to our leaders through agreement, having that dynamic boss, engaging boss, seeing them be awesome in meetings, having parents take you out for your favorite ice cream, having date date nights with your spouse. We connect to our leaders through agreement, but we grow through challenge. If I only like leaders to tell me things that I agree with, are they really leading me? Or as Maxwell puts it, are they influencing me? Are they pushing me to be better, having a more effective and more fulfilled life than if I was just fumbling through it on my own? And for so many of us in this culture, in this society, and what we go through, we don't want people to tell us things that we disagree with because there's enough people out there that I can kind of find someone that will agree with me at least on this point or that point or whatever. I can find someone. But what you need is you need people in your life who can challenge you, who can tell you some things that you're like, man, I don't really like that they said that to me like that. But, and then you start thinking about it. You're like, well, maybe I do need to improve in that area. Maybe I do need to be better in that area. Maybe I do need to, 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 to be more discipled and disciplined in that one area of my life. Maybe I do need to. We need to be challenged so that we can grow. None of us have a problem connecting with agreement and praise. Man, you're doing such a credible job. Mike, you get five stars. Tony, you're going to get a sticker, you know? Like, we love that, right? We love that. We, we want that praise. But we have to know that sometimes critique and challenge need to come with us. Some of us, when we get the first whiff of a critique or challenge from someone, we shut down. Do you know anybody like that? You know anybody like that? The first time they get a critique, the first time they, that someone says, hey, you probably shouldn't have done it like that, they shut down. But what we need to understand is that God has given us leaders. He's put people around us. He's put people in our lives for this season, not only to love us, but to help us grow. 
And this is kind of where Paul is talking about to the Corinthians church and he's kind of giving them this idea of, you know, hey guys, this is not about just the people that you agree with or the people that you like. God is putting leaders in your life to do certain things. This is what the first part of 1 Corinthians is about. God has sent workers and leaders into the field to cultivate the work that God is doing in them. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, he says this, I planted, that's Paul talking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. There's leaders in your life that were there for a certain season. People in your life, maybe it was a Bible study group, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was people in your life for certain seasons that God is using to grow you into the person that he wants you to be. And he begins chapter 4 with this framework of, of viewing those in Christian leadership. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us. This is the the leaders that Paul is talking about, us. As servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that that they be found faithful. The first thing that he says is servants of Christ. The word servant here, it means this. It means one who stands and acts in service of a higher will and is fully is at fully at the disposal of this will. So I act in service of a higher will and I'm fully at the disposal of that will. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying that that Christian leaders, that people who lead others in, in into places where God is taking them, they should be number one servants of Christ. They shouldn't have their own will. They shouldn't have their own desires. They shouldn't have their own agendas. It should be fully in service to the will of God, to the will of Jesus, and fully at the disposal of that will. First thing, servants of Christ. The second thing that he says is that they should be stewards of the mysteries of God. The picture here for stewards in that time that a landowner would appoint someone to oversee all of their land. They were busy. They had other stuff happening. They had to go travel. They had to go meet people. They had all this stuff. And so what they would do is they would appoint someone and say, I want you to oversee what's happening here. And and when I come back, just make sure that everything is taken care of. You you were more than just a a caretaker. The, The expectation a lot of times was that you would grow it that it wouldn't just be how it was when the owner left and he would come back and it was just everything's the same, but you would actually grow it. You would make, uh, you would expand his wealth and you would make it more. You would uh, grow it in that way. And so he, Paul says that we're servants of Christ, but we're stewards of the ministry or mysteries of God. We're, we're taking care of it. This is not mine. These are not my ideas. These are not my thoughts. These are not whatever. What, what happens as a pastor and as a leader and as you're spiritually leading other people, maybe it's your Bible study, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's your family, whatever it is, you're, you're a steward of what God is doing in the lives of other people, right? This is not my opinion. I take my opinion, again, servants of God, I take my opinion and I subject it to what God has already said. And I realize that this is not my own that I need to leave it in a better place whenever I hand it off to the next generation, to the next person or whatever. And so we're stewards of the mysteries of God. We see this picture in Jesus' parable of the talents. And he says this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. He says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. 
He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So he had, uh, so also the, he who had two talents made two more talents. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also saw the one who two, with two talents and came forward and master, I have delivered uh, to uh, master, you've delivered me two talents here. I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little and I have set you over, over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then Jesus says this, he would receive the one talent came forward and said, master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you can have what is yours. So he gave him back the one talent that he received. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not... uh, where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered, then you ought to have invested my money with bankers, and at my coming I should have received uh, what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, uh, who ha- has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he, ha- he, will, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant out into other darkness in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying is that when we receive the message of the gospel, when we receive the gift that is God's word in our lives, and we have the ability to reconcile other people and connect them to what God is doing, when we receive this, when we're stewards of this, we need to do something with it. We can't just sit there. And so Paul says that we're stewards of God's mysteries. We're stewards of what God is doing. Spiritual authority and influence. This is pastors, teachers, evangelists, spiritual leaders, authors, whatever. Requires that one continually submit themselves as servants to the will of God and act as stewards of God's truth, both guarding them and spreading them. We live in a time of immense resources right? We have more stuff at the palm of our hands right now. You have, you have libraries on your phone. Libraries on your phone. You, have, you, can do, you can connect to any type of thing. This is unlike anything in the history of humanity, the resources that we have at our fingertips. Any question you have, you can simply type it into your phone. And nowadays, you don't even have to type it into your phone. You don't have to do that anymore. I can go like literally right now with my phone. Hey, Google, when was the Magna Carta signed? And then it tells me right here. It tells me, 1215, June 15th. That's crazy that we can do that whenever we, we have this stuff at our fingertips. We have all the knowledge and everything that we need right in the palm of our hands. But the question is, has this knowledge made us any smarter as a society? Do you feel that way? You feel like everybody's doing good? You feel like we're in a good spot? 
No, no, we're not. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't do that. It doesn't do that because we're not, we're, 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 we're educated beyond our level of obedience. And so because we're educated beyond our level of obedience, we're, we know things, but we don't actually obey the things. Has all this knowledge made us smarter? No. Does it feel like we're wiser than we were 25 years ago? No. Does it feel like we're wiser than we were 50 years ago? No. It doesn't seem like that. In many ways, we've grown as a society, but in other ways, we haven't. And we have this wealth of knowledge, and so, the, so did the Corinthians. And, and Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8. He says this, Already you have all that you want. You've already become rich without us. You, you didn't need us, and you've become kings. And, you, and would that you did reign so that we might share in the rule with you. And he says this, For I think that God has exhibited to us the apostles as last of all, like men who are sentenced to death because, because we have become the spectacle for the world to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. And then he says in verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have, been, uh, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. Paul says you're rich. You have everything you need. You've got as many books as you need. You've got as many uh, channels as you can watch, pastors on TV, radio stations, all this stuff. You've got everything that you need, but you don't have many fathers. And so God sent me to be your father, Paul says. Aaron, you can go ahead and come back up here and, and we're going to wrap up here in a little bit. But this is the picture of the relationship. I'm going to show you a picture and you've probably seen this on social media. This is the picture of the relationship that Paul was saying. Corinthian church, you've got holes, but I'm willing to give you the last of me. I'm willing to give you the last of what I have, of, of everything. I'm willing to pour my entire self out for you so that you can be whole in God. You guys seen this picture before? Anybody seen this before? All right. Basically, it's a father who has holes. He's got problems. He's got areas of his life that, that, that just need, um, need to be filled. But his son has one, and the father's willing to give his son one of his own pieces. Even though he has way more pieces than his son has. He's willing to give his son one of his pieces so that the son could be whole. And this is the picture of spiritual leadership that Paul gives the Corinthian church. For some of us who want spiritual leadership, we want it for reasons that are, you know, it's, we, we want to be lauded. We want to be someone that people look up to. We want to be someone that does this. But this is the picture that Paul gives. A servant to the will of God and a steward, not the owner of God's mysteries. One that is willing to give the last piece of himself so that another person can be whole. The authority that comes from a real spiritual leadership comes from serving, from giving yourself away. Jesus said this in John 3, verse 30, God must increase, he must increase, so I must decrease. And we all live under spiritual authority. Watchman Nee says this, let every soul be subject to higher powers, but for there is no power but to God. 
And the powers must be ordained by God. God puts people in our lives to get us to where he wants us to be. But God also put you in other people's lives to help them get to where they need to be. And so it's not just me as the pastor that needs a really, really good understanding and ethic of spiritual leadership. We all need it. We all need it because God can use you. God can use you to bring someone else along. God can use you to reach back and pull someone else out of whatever situation and out of whatever issue that God has led you from. A lot of times when we go through troubles and we go through heartache, it puts you in a place to where you can minister to someone like you never have been able to before. I know when Liz and I, when we first got married, man, we were, you know, just young kids. And we had, we had Kaylin, who's 13 now, and, and she just, you know, it was every, everything was good. I mean, like, you just get married, you have kids, that's it. But then right after Kaylin, we, got, we found out we were pregnant again. We were so excited. We were like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then we miscarried. And I remember from then on, Every time there was someone in our church, there was a dad or there was a mom in our church that came up to us and said, hey, we're going through this. We were expecting a child, but we lost it. I could minister to them in a whole different way than I could before. It wasn't that God did that. I don't believe God did that to us. But I believe that God uses that. God uses whatever it is that you're going through, whatever issue it is that you're going through, whatever struggle it is that you're going through, whatever problems that you face in life, God uses that so you can minister to others, so you can lead others into everything that God has created them to be. We do this by being servants of the will of God, of being stewards of his mysteries. Therefore, we honor authority, It's not because of their human position, but it's because of the service to God and to us. Keep in mind the weight of the role, our need for authority in our own lives. We should pray for them. Pray that God guards them. Pray that God sustains them. Pray that God keeps them. We honor authority that God places in our lives because we know that they're there so that I may become all that God has created me to be. And for some of us, Maybe it needs to start with, like, just not being so sensitive. Maybe it's just starting with, you know, the the person who's critiquing me right now is saying this because they love me. For some of us, it needs to be where we need to start with, uh, am I teachable at all? Am I teachable at all? Or, Or do I know, do I think that I know everything right now? For some of us, it's, can we take correction or do we reject it? We have to understand that God put people in our lives to lead us and to help us grow. They're gifts to us. And just like they're gifts to us, you can be a gift to someone else. The first step is submission. We have to submit to God. 